So this evening I'd like to give a talk on the infinite immensity of impermanence. The infinite immensity of impermanence. And it's said that contemplation on this can give us a sense of spiritual urgency. And a lot of times um, we just need to have enough spiritual urgency to live our lives in alignment with the truth, opening to the truth of how things are. So this is about the river of life, the river of change. When I was in my 20s, I was inspired by a book by Hermann Hesse. So um, Siddhartha, probably many of you have read that book. How, how many of you have read Siddhartha? So you all know, <laughs> yeah, it's really wonderful. And I've forgotten the details, of course, but there are so many wonderful um, images that remain in my heart mind about it. And they're so moving to me. Um, mostly they're about uh, the images that remain in my heart mind or about opening to the truth of change. I recall that image of Siddhartha sitting next to the river and hearing and seeing and sensing everything about the river just arising and passing by and all the different elements of river life coming and going, impossible to stop, impossible to hold on to anything within it. It's like taking a piece of that river and trying to hold it in your hands. It just all flows through. You can't hold on. Even that image, very important to me. So the teaching of impermanence is really important to us in our lives as um, practitioners on this path and in our lives as human beings. We don't, we can't pay enough attention to impermanence. So whenever I remember that image and that story, it brings me to this present time, to real time, and it helps me to, can I see life like that? Can I see life as this river of change always passing by. Every moment that fluxing and changing, that appearing and disappearing. I mean, it always amazes me that I walked into this room, I sat down, arranged my things, and everything that happened just minutes before is completely gone. It's just completely gone. I mean, just in in one little you know, three-minute period of time, it's so amazing to me that it's completely disappeared. And now it's here. And trying to hold on to a moment even a second ago is totally impossible. So whenever I remember that image, it really helps me to see life that way. So we're doing our best here to be in this retreat life of simplicity, silence, and relative seclusion that we started our intention out being here together in this way. And we're doing our best to mindfully be present with our moment-to-moment experience and see if we can really understand this experientially these five physical sense doors of seeing, of smelling, of tasting, of hearing, of physical sensations coming and going, the instructions are really simple. Can we notice that moment to moment? We even are given sometimes words to note that so that maybe we'll remember, you know, it was one note in the, in the moment past of smelling and the next one is hearing and the next one is seeing and do we have some little or big realizations that go along with that? Or do they just pass us by? And then there's a mind door, you know, all the different fluctuations of the mind arising and passing away. It's pretty awesome to see that, to be with that really, and to take that in, in a way that maybe 
we've never taken in before. A few years ago, I spent some time hiking through the old growth forests in um, Washington State, Mount Rainier National Forest. And I wanted to do that as a way of just slowing down to life and uh, receiving the simplicity, remembering the simplicity, just being with the simplicity of life so that the mind and the heart could be more in sync with nature, with how things are. Perhaps it could be entrained with wind blowing and leaves rustling and things like that that are really simple and not trying to finish my to-do list. And perhaps um, I could reconnect with the, re- with the rhythms of my heart that get forgotten because I'm trying to do things on the list and answer things on email. And actually, to tell you the truth, I get... You know, people, everybody would try to stay in touch with each other, but here I am going to bed sometimes and I hear the ding. I haven't turned off my phone yet and I hear the ding, a text, and sometimes I say, oh darn, I have to say thank you, to <laughs> you know, or I can't just rest, I have to answer another text. And um, it's just too much sometimes, it's just overwhelming sometimes, these, even these simple things. But in the forest, I could just be in sync with perhaps no concept of time, just maybe waking in the morning and, and eating and drinking and then eliminating that during the day and taking rest and sitting down or laying in the forest or sitting next to a tree. So I walked with a friend along one of the major glacial river paths up to a waterfall. And um, we were walking at a mindful pace, you know, not trying to rush, but taking our time, being as present as we could, moment to moment, among the trees and, and the mountains around us and the creatures who weren't trying to accomplish anything, just being. Hopefully that would wear off on us. And um, there was a lot of just being vividly taking in what was going on around us in that forest, beside that river. So it was simple, you know, to try to give my own advice when I'm doing this. And just when they're smelling, just smelling is happening. (laughs) When they're seeing, just seeing is happening. Simple things like that. So walking along, there would be the scent of the bark and the fallen leaves of trees and in the damp soil of Washington in that beautiful northwest weather. Moments of just smelling. So wonderful. Just smelling. Just smelling. Taking in the refined odors and every present moment of the coming forth, the appearance of smelling the changing, refined nature of it as it's intense and then it fades away and it disappears. And then maybe there's another moment of gentle raindrops falling on my face and there's just warmth and coolness and feeling that, the sensations of that and the the foot hitting the ground and feeling the softness or the hardness of my own foot on the soft or hardness of the earth beneath me. Just hardness, just softness sometimes, just stepping, just stepping, just feeling the heartbeat, the pulsing of the heart, the sensation around my physical heart center. Just sensing it. It's so simple, it's so renewing, so refreshing. And this is what we're asking of ourselves here. Something as simple as that. But when that's happening, to really take in maybe the appearance when it happens of something. Or maybe we're taking in just the changing nature of that moment. 
Or maybe sometimes we um, take stock of a, a bird song and we're just hearing the end of it and it trails off. We just notice the disappearance of something like that hearing. And along that river on the path there were sounds of the river, the rocks and boulders it was going over and sometimes fallen trees just kind of rushing down the river and there would be rustling, gentle rustling of the water and sometimes it would be a rushing, it would be intense, sometimes light and not needing or being able to control anything, just letting it be, letting it go, letting it take its path. A lot of lessons in nature. We can't hold on to it, but we could enjoy its coming and going. Simple things like that. Receiving the sounds, just hearing, just hearing, that's all. And sometimes there would be moments of the seeing colors and shapes and light and form and color kind of taking form and then something else would appear because I was moving along and um, the light reflecting on the leaves and on the river and all of that can't hold on to anything but can see it, know it. So the mind, the heart reflecting on all of this once in a while And also having moments of enjoyment and moments of, oh, could that one, that sound last a little longer? I want that to stay, but it doesn't. But seeing the wanting, also coming and going, stepping on a rock and feeling, ooh, I don't like that. Knowing that also, the mind, coming and going in relationship to all of nature around me, that's okay too. It comes and goes like the sound comes and goes. Can't hang on to that either. So it's just seeing, just hearing, just sensing, just smelling, just knowing, coming and going, appreciating, and sensing that quiet joy also come and go, that quiet contentment of life. And sometimes not, sometimes remembering problems at home or anywhere in the world and feeling the heart squeeze up, tighten up, knowing that too, that isn't far away. So listening deeply to the teachings like we do here, we're in nature here. We have this opportunity, the same opportunity to do this kind of practice right here in this beautiful place. The movement of the wind, the stars in the sky, Venus and Mars and Jupiter and the changing moon. The teachings are all around us if we take them in the energy systems of our hearts and minds, similar to the energy systems around us, always changing. So just as I could easily open to the naturalness of this river flowing (coughs) its course beside me, I could also open to the naturalness of this river of my life, the inner parts of my life showing up You know, just a simple sense of hearing, smelling, tasting, sensing, sensations in the body and the mind and heart reflecting on all of that or um, responding or reacting to some of that sometimes. Knowing that. Everything evaporating too. So I could easily open my heart to nature outside of me and then made it easier to see the process inside this river of life flowing. So in recent 
times I've been tuning into the immensity and the infinity of impermanence as a way of turning my heart to a more of a spiritual urgency. That process of being human in this endless cycle of repeating birth and life and death and rebirth. Or you, you might take it just in terms of one life. It's easy for me to take it in terms of repeated lifetimes. That's my belief system, my understanding. But for some of us, maybe just taking it in terms of one life, taking birth, infancy, going through that, adolescence, adulthood, our elder years, the dying process, and then death. It's a huge process of impermanence that's showing up every single moment. And are we listening? Are we opening our eyes and our hearts and the wisdom factor and the compassion factor? So... This is called samsara, when we think of it as repeated lifetimes. One definition of samsara is perpetually wandering through states of existence. The endless cycle of eternally becoming, birth, life's changes, death and rebirth, the infinite immense cycle that we go through as human beings, whether it be just this one life we can look at it in or in terms of repeated lifetimes. So I've been reflecting on how long this has been flowing and fluctuating on. Um, We would hear these stories from Manindraji all the time. How long have you been doing this? (laughs) How long are you going to go on? When are you going to develop enough wisdom to purify your mind and your heart? Totally. So this fluctuating and flowing on and on since time immemorial, all these joys and pains, sorrows and pleasures, coming and going, this incessant change, it brings, it does bring me to the sense of spiritual urgency. When we ponder on impermanence, it can do that for us. We have a word for it in Pali. Pali is that ancient language that the Buddha's teachings were translated from into English and other languages. And that word is samvega. That means spiritual urgency. And a lot of us have it because we're here. That urgency to really escape these rounds of wandering through this endless cycle and doing the same thing over and over again. You know, all these, um, we get to see all these cycles of habitual tendencies that we have. And we're given the, the practice of renunciation so we can refrain sometimes and not feed that cycle. So it's said that this samvega, this sense of urgency to escape the rounds of wandering through this endless cycle, needs to be balanced with pasada and uh, serene confidence. Pasada means clarity. This confidence that allows us to go on in a balanced way in our practice, not like with aversion because it's this way, it's endless but was seeing the endlessness of it, the habitual tendencies that keep going on and on. And how are we going to shift and change and see something different, this purification of our hearts and minds? Can we do this in a balanced way so we can proceed towards a goal of freeing our hearts and minds of the ways that cause harm? that cause harm to others, that cause harm to our own karmic stream. Because we keep doing that cycle, that habitual cycle, it keeps planting seeds to go in the karmic stream to come up again, to work with again and again and again. So I have that quiet aspiration 
that quiet sense of urgency. It's really a part of my being a student of the Dharma and being a human being as I face the conditions that naturally unfold in my life. When I was younger, I listened to the words of the Buddha that were beyond my capacity to understand. But I was told that if I just listen and I hear what the Blessed One had to say, someday I may live into it. And it's said that we actually need to hear the Dharma, the Dharma, in order to realize it. We need to hear it or read it uh, so that when we really come across it, we know, oh, this is what the Blessed One was talking about. We can understand it experientially. So I'd always be assured that if I kept practicing, there would be experiential understanding. And so just let it in, the words. So I'm going to read to you from these ancient... um, words of the Blessed One, the Buddha, and these, are, these words are from the ancient suttas, uh, the words, the um, precious guidance of our root teacher. So it gives us a sense of what is beyond the concept of time in these words, and understand the infinity and the immensity of this cycle of birth, of life, of death, to understand this infinity of impermanence. So from the suttas, one time a Brahmin, um, uh, this is of an upper class person, um, uh, in the time of the Buddha, in what is now India, And this person asked the Buddha, how many eons have elapsed and gone by in terms of wandering in this cycle of samsara? Is it possible to give a simile? So before I give the answer that the Blessed One said, I want to say, explain what an eon is. An eon is an immeasurably long time. In the Buddhist cosmology, I looked this up, A neon is 4.32 billion years. And in astronomy, one eon is 100,000 million years. And I I, I don't know which one is more or less, but it's pretty long. So this is the Buddha's response. So again, from the suttas, the Samyutta Nikaya, from the Book of Causation, This is translated from the Pali into English by Bhikkhu Bodhi, one of our great living translators and um, uh, monks. So the Blessed One answered, when the Brahmin asked, how many eons have elapsed and gone by in terms of wandering in this cycle of samsara? Is it possible to give a simile? The Blessed One said, it is possible, Brahmin, Consider the grains of sand between the point where the river Ganges originates and the point where it enters the great ocean. The eons that have elapsed and gone by are even more numerous than that. Remember, one eon is like 4.32 billion years. More numerous than that. It is not easy to count them and say that there are so many eons or hundreds or many thousands or hundreds of thousands of eons. For what reason? Because, Brahman, this samsara is without discoverable beginning. It is enough to be liberated from them. So when I read that, I know that Bhikkhu Bodhi is an excellent translator, and when I read that last sentence, it is enough to be liberated from them. The way I read it is, isn't it time enough to be liberated from them? You know, if one has been wandering in samsara this long. So on another occasion, while dwelling at Savati, the Blessed One said to the, uh, those who were practicing the bhikkhus, the robed and the... Uh, 
women and men and the lay women and men. This samsara is without discoverable beginning. Our first point is not discerned of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance and fettered by craving. Whenever you see anyone in misfortune, in misery, you can conclude we too have experienced the same thing in this long course. Whenever you see anyone happy and fortunate, you can conclude we too have experienced the same thing in this long course. For what reason? Because this samsara is without discoverable beginning. It is enough to be liberated from them. And lastly, from the Blessed One at Savati, this samsara is without discoverable beginning. A first point is not discerned of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance, fettered by craving. What do you think, bhikkhus, which is more, the stream of tears you have shed as you roamed and wandered on through this long course, weeping and wailing because of being united with the disagreeable, separated from the agreeable? This or the water in the four great oceans, which is more? And the bhikkhus responded, As we understand the Dhamma taught by the Blessed One, Venerable Sir, the stream of tears that we have shed as we roamed and wandered through this long course, weeping and wailing because of being united with the disagreeable, separated from the agreeable, this alone is more than the water in the four great oceans. And the Blessed One responded, Bhikkhus, it is good that you understand the Dhamma in this way. So the fluctuations of even just one life, birth, the stages of infancy, childhood, the teenage years, which when I think about those, I would never want to relive those, the early and later adulthood, and and now going through um, the elder years, through health and sickness, through dying and, and death around me and, and people around me too that um, have a time limit. We all have a time limit. Some people are just more faced with it by the medical, um, medical people than others. So all this happiness and sorrow, all this gain and loss slips through our fingers like water. One of the ceremonies, at least in, in Burma, maybe in other Asian places, is, um, is they pour water through your hands to help you realize you can't hold on. The, anyway, that's what it helped me realize. You take the water, blessed water, and they pour it through your hands. And so it just goes on its way, flows on, slips through our fingers, the river of life. When I was in my 20s, the end of life was not something I thought about. I was too busy being in basic survival and doing the best I could, as we all do, you know, So even so, I did have a lot of interest in that beginning sense I had of a sense of urgency. What is life all about anyway? Why am I here in this birth? What's the reason for my being here, being born? I know, you know, I had these beautiful children and my responsibility to bring up in the world to have some sort of balanced life with compassion and wisdom. But there has to be more to it than that. So now at this age, like most of you, most of the river of my life is behind me. You know, maybe I'll live to 90, which is 20 years from now for me. And 20 years ago was like that. I can remember when I was just in my 50s. It was like yesterday, right? It was like yesterday, like... Could I live to be 71? Maybe not. There are people that I know closely that 
have died before that age. So there's, there's just a sense of urgency anyway because I'm this age. So there's this natural organic arising of this reflection on aging and death and the preciousness of this human birth, this human life. In one of the um, Tibetan tankas on the dependent origination, I'm remembering that um, there's this wheel of life and the Buddha is standing beyond that wheel and says... Um, take up this, which he points to, I, I think it's the moon, anyway, some ball of light, take up this, which is the Dhamma, and give up that, which is this samsara. And it just is always like, take up this, give up that, and okay, I'm doing it, <laughs> you know, doing the best I can. And... Um, yeah, how can, how can we do that so we realize deeply the meaning of life? And not just for ourselves, but then we share it with others while we're still alive, like we're, we are all trying to, our best to do, and you too, in your life. We take in the Dhamma, understand it experientially, and then share it in our lives out of compassion, out of wisdom, not just for ourselves. So we keep the truth of impermanence in the forefront of our minds and hearts every day, every moment, hopefully. A few years ago, I did some personal practice in Lumbini, um, the birthplace of the Buddha. And I usually um, don't bring any reading material on things like this when I take a time of practice, unless I'm doing a study practice uh, retreat. The only thing I brought along at this time was a writing by um, Dilgo Kinsey Rinpoche, a great Tibetan teacher, because that particular writing really inspired me to not waste any time at my retreat, to do the best I could in a balance of keeping up with the practice, keeping up with the schedule that was being offered, and I was practicing with um, Seydao Vivekananda. Uh, a great um, monk colleague of ours. So this writing brought forth that sense of spiritual urgency and the recognition, the reminder of the preciousness of life, of using this life to really practice and realize the Dhamma. So I read this in the morning and or in the evening. So I'd like to offer these words to you with the purity and strength of the intention of Dilgo Kinsey Rinpoche, who was a great Tibetan master. And uh, remember how fortunate we are to be here on this Dharma path. So these are his words. Ask yourself how many of the billions of inhabitants of this planet have any idea of how rare it is to have been born as a human being. How many of those who understand the rarity of human birth ever think of using that chance to practice the Dharma? How many of those who think of practice actually do? How many of those who start continue? How many of those who continue attain ultimate realization? Indeed, those who attain ultimate realization compared to those who do not, are as few as the stars you can see at daybreak. As long as you fail to recognize the true value of human existence, you will just fritter your life away in futile activity and distraction. When life comes all too soon to its inevitable end, you will not have achieved anything worthwhile at all. But once you really see the unique opportunity that human life can bring, you will definitely direct all your energy into reaping its true worth by putting the Dharma into practice. Just as every single thing is always moving inexorably closer to its ultimate dissolution, so too your own life, like a burning butter lamp, will soon be consumed. It would be foolish to think that you can first finish all your work 
and then retire to spend the later days of your life practicing the Dharma. Can you be certain you will live that long? Does death not strike the young as well as the old? No matter what you are doing, therefore, remember death and keep your mind focused on the Dharma. So this is what either woke me up every morning or put me to bed at night so that I'd really remember to use my time wisely. I don't know if it was a translator or Upandita himself who would say to me, I remember a couple of times saying, um, saying to me as I would go out the door, make every moment count. And reminding me at one time or another, you may never be able to come back to do any practice. So the Pali word for this infinite and immeasurable sense of impermanence is anicca. Most, if not all of us, are familiar with that word anicca. It means something a lot more than the change of nature's change of Uh, seasons in nature or that morning goes into afternoon goes into evening you know we could say just you could ask anyone on the street do things change and everybody would agree but can we see it at the in the subtleties of the moment that's what the whole practice is turning your attention to Can we see it in the subtlety of a moment of arising of aversion or joy and seeing it do its thing, change, and then disappear? The subtleties of anicca include arising, becoming different, becoming otherwise, disappearing, never staying the same, subject to change. In a bigger way, it's realized as the flowing onness of life. So like this beginningless, endless river, emerging from innumerable conditions, each one of those conditions being impermanent. And as those conditions come together, what it forms also becomes impermanent. Like this body, like this mind, like this idea of self. So this beginningless, endless river, emerging, fluxing, changing, moving, evaporating, there's a depth we can go to with this teaching from nature if we just keep it simple, keep it quiet, keep doing your practice, keep the continuity. So we're fortunate to be here where it's possible to see the night sky. Before I came here, the night before I came here, I was reading an article there that there's very few places on earth now that you can see the Milky Way because of all the lights. And maybe there's enough darkness to see it here, maybe. you know. But I know we can see stars really clearly here. So we may say it in different ways, but we each practice knowingly or unconsciously to understand the nature of life more deeply. This is what we're here for. It's not just to be in the present moment as Joseph was talking about last night. Being in the present moment is not enough. We need to see this present moment with wisdom and with compassion too. It's always changing. It's always moving. How are we going to live in alignment with that and not hold on so tightly? I mean, it's easy for me to say those words for you, but to you, but it's not easy for me to live those words. I have to, (laughs) I can't take my own advice usually. So we're understanding here so profoundly these wisdoms experientially and um, we can take them in. It helps us to kind of loosen that tight fist we have 
on life and how we think it should be, how we think it, we want it to be, of course we're going towards that to be a cause for healing and harmony in the world. We do everything we can, but without this tight fist of like, it has to be that way, like right now or even in 10 years, we still do everything we can, but not in a way that's angry or not in a way that's so hanging on to our sense of ourselves or how we think it should be that we cause harm in the world. So we understand deeply, like by the simple virtue of witnessing, taking in this changing nature of everything, and we begin to live naturally in alignment with that truth. We begin to realize that um, we can't hold on and holding on hurts. So in our meditation practice, instead of using our energy to resist the unpleasant or to use our energy to chase after the pleasant, can we just, as, as um, Greg was saying this morning, can we just open to those and experience them to see the changing nature of them, to understand when it arises and just wait, wait it out and see how it changes. If there's just mindfulness attending to a pleasant moment, it doesn't have to be the precursor for attachment to arise. If there's simple mindful awareness to an unpleasant moment of feeling, tone, it doesn't have to be the precursor for aversion to arise. We see the impermanent nature of it all. See that it doesn't last. So we don't have to chase after it. We don't have to hold on. I think I've said this in this group before, at least in this venue, that a good friend of mine said this about pleasant experiences in practice. She said, there's nothing like a good sitting in the morning to ruin the rest of the day. It's always looking for that, you know, sitting again. You know, it just, it happens and then there's joy or there's, uh, you know, a contented feeling and that too comes and goes. The Buddha never asked us not to experience it. It's just not to hang on to it. The Buddha said, from the Anguttara Nikaya, better a single day of life perceiving how things rise and fall than to live out a century yet not perceive their rise and fall. So this practice of vipassana, seeing things as they really are. And um, we were taught uh, by Seda Upandita that in vipassana, the pa in vipassana is seeing things not just clearly, but extraordinarily clearly. And then living our lives in alignment with that. Living our lives in alignment with how things are impermanent. Really, that deep understanding really helps us to not hang on. Just opening to that. We don't even have to let go. We just have to realize that things go. That things don't stay. That they change. So this nature around us, this nature in us, the incessant mind-boggling formations, the appearing, the morphing, the dissolving, the becoming otherwise, the transience, the moving nature, seen in everything, seen in the four foundations of mindfulness, seen in the five aggregates, seeing in this mind-body continuum over and over and over again. It's constantly teaching us inside and around us. 
I love this quote by Carlos Castaneda who says, um, this is from the teachings of his teacher Don Juan, whenever the internal dialogue stops, the world collapses and the extraordinary facets of ourselves surface as though they had been kept heavily guarded by our words. You know, just um, all those concepts that make things concrete. Can we just see one moment at a time? Again, from the words of the Blessed One at Savati, Bhikkhu's form is impermanent. The cause and condition for the arising of form is also impermanent. As form has has originated from what is impermanent, how could it be permanent? Feeling is impermanent. Perception is impermanent. Volitional formations are impermanent. Consciousness is impermanent. The cause and condition for the arising of all of these are impermanent. So how could anything be permanent? What I just mentioned were the five aggregates of clinging. So by the way, what I just read to you, this teaching, this particular teaching on the impermanence of the five aggregates of clinging were recorded 159 times in the different suttas. A very, very important teaching. The one I read to you is from the Kanda Samyutta. So in the normal course of doing our day here, just can we open to that impermanence, not looking for it, but just take it in. All we have to do is be mindful of whatever is happening. And um, we don't have to look for it anywhere. Especially in your moment-to-moment experience of when we see a sensation arise in the body. Can we be with that momentary sensation that makes up the conglomerate of what we call pain? The moment that a scent comes to the nose door, can we know that? Oh, smelling arising, seeing arising, hearing arising, hearing changing, disappearing. We don't have to think about it. Theoretically, it's all around us. Listening to the flow of the river of change over and over again, deepening into its understanding just naturally. It doesn't have to be a big Dharma talk we give ourselves. And then we bring that back to our daily life. This is from the Sutta Nipata, the Buddha's words. Let there be nothing behind you. Leave the future to one side and grasp not what remains in the middle. So this is for our practice here. You know, can we just leave the past in the past? And if we're thinking about the past, all we have to know is remembering that's in the present moment. Knowing what's happening in the present moment is remembering. If we're thinking about the future or planning, all we have to do is know planning Planning mind is happening. In that moment, planning mind is in the present moment. And then we don't even have to grasp at that in that present moment. It's also disappearing, dissolving. So finally, this flowing onness of the river of life teaches us not to resist the truth. We start to live our lives from a place of a richer meaning. Perhaps we use our life force more skillfully. Perhaps we turn towards complete liberation, purification of greed, hatred, and delusion. 
And at the same time, we serve humanity with that increasing deepening of knowledge, of understanding, of the preciousness of life, of wisdom and compassion, the importance of being kind, the importance of being a good person. This saying by Suzuki Roshi is beautiful. True renunciation is not giving up things of the world, but knowing that they go away. So I'd like to end with um, this um, quote by Mr. Goenka. I think a a few of you or many of you have practiced his practice, so I I have a great reverence for him. Um, He... He had a place for our teacher, Manindraji, in India. And he, he had Manindraji stay there for a long time until he got too sick and he had to be home with his family in Calcutta. So Goenka says, Real wisdom is recognizing and accepting that every experience is impermanent. With this insight, you will not be overwhelmed by the ups and downs of life. And when you are able to maintain inner balance, you can choose to act in ways that create happiness for yourselves and others. Living each moment happily with an equanimous mind, you will surely progress towards the ultimate goal of liberation from all suffering. So may this be so. Let's sit for a moment. Time for some walking now. <laughs> 